Welcome back, y'all. Another episode of Slam Presents No Pump Fakes on the way. It's crazy, y'all. This is our, this is our 75th episode. Seven, 75th episode. Episode number 75. Um, and for today, we got my man Daniel Gafford on the show. What's going on, man? How you doing? How y'all doing? I'm good. Appreciate yeah, you for, for pulling up on the show. Appreciate you for pulling up the show. Um, so I just want to say off rip, man, we, we're creating a history today. Um, not just because it's the episode 75, but I think, Daniel, you're like the first person to ever pull up on the show with a do-rag on. So I want to say on. thank you, man. And shout <laughs> out. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. He was away there like, wait, what was it? Keep, keep <laughs> it authentic. Yeah, but, uh, keep it authentic. Much respect. Much respect, man. How you doing, though, for real, man? How you, how you doing? I'm good, man. I mean, I can't complain. You know, everyday life is, you know what I'm saying, going great for me, um, taking it one step at a time. Like I said, I really can't complain about anything. I'm healthy. I'm playing ball. I'm doing everything that I love. So, yeah, I'm I'm good. Yeah, respect, respect. Go ahead, Liz. For sure, for sure. Living the dream. And, and obviously, you know, we talk about, you know, playing ball, obviously, and living the dream. Um, one of the questions that I have for you, which is overall, you know, we're in the time of March Madness. Right in the NCAA tournament, um, and just the overall process, right from uh, college to pros, and just overall um, early on in your career, right? Because obviously now being in the NBA, people see what it's like now. But what was your overall journey like to kind of get to this point? Um, are we starting from just like high school on up? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I want to start from the beginning. Yeah. Well, man, when I first started playing ball, it was a bit rough. I would say I, I always was tripping over my feet. Was the clumsiest guy, the clumsiest guy out there, but I was always the tallest. So everybody wanted me to be on the floor and stuff. So going on, growing up and stuff, I really didn't play as much. You know, I was on and off a couple of AAU teams that was locally and certain things like that. But I really wasn't taking basketball too serious around that time. So I get on up into I would say junior high and stuff, and the coach told me to try out for the eighth grade year because I basically went all the way up to my seventh grade year, and I really didn't like take in the basketball like that and stuff. I was a band geek. I, I played three variations of the clarinet and I played the bass drum too. So I was the tallest guy on the school campus and stuff, but I really wasn't doing anything. I was carrying around bass drums. I was carrying around the clarinet, stuff like that. So uh, the end of my seventh grade year, the coach tells me to try out and I make the team the next year, you know, going up in to eighth grade. That was my first time like fully playing, like fully simulated basketball when it came to just looking at getting scouts and stuff to look at me because the end of my eighth grade year, uh, my coach had explained to me fully about like, you know, the game of basketball, what scouts and stuff meant because I had scouts and stuff looking at me at the end of my eighth grade year. And I asked my coach, what is that? You know, I really, I was not, I was not in tune with like the game or anything at all. So he explained to me, he explained everything that I could do to be able to help my family and little things. And basically just do what I love and get paid for it. So he, you know what I'm saying? When he said that, my eyes lit up, you know, I was like, okay, cool. I understand it. So now going into high school and stuff, you know, I took it one day at a time. I finally started taking it serious. And that's something that it was just like my main focus. Basketball was my main focus. And going on up, you know, uh, did the things that I did in high school. I got offers from Arkansas, Mississippi State, LSU, um, Kansas State. It was a couple other ones too. I can't fully remember. Florida, but, Florida, Ver Vanderbilt. Yeah. yeah. So um, I decided to commit to Arkansas, committed to them, and went up there for two years. And, you know, first year in the league. It was a bit of a bumpy road and stuff. It was a learning process. Like, I, you know, everybody is wet behind the ears when it comes to it. 
you know, so I was taking it one day at a time. I got drafted second round, 38th pick to Chicago. First year was decent. Second year, it got to the point where I got halfway through the season and I got traded. So now I'm here in Washington and here we are. <laughs> Can you talk about like how the NBA is a business? Like you said, you got drafted with the Chicago Bulls. I'm sure you probably thought you were probably going to be with the Chicago Bulls for at least more than like one season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just really just understanding the business part is the main thing because if you can't understand the business part early, it's going to eat you alive. You're going to be put in a position to where you are overthinking basically every minute, every second of your life because you never know if you're going to stay. You never know if you're going to go. You don't know if the coach is rocking with you. You don't know if he is. So it's just the little things that ties into it if you don't have a complete understanding of just like the business part of it because the business part of it, it gets real busy during the times, especially around trades. That's one thing for sure. And me coming to Chicago, I was thinking I was going to be there for at least, you know, the rest of my second year. But push came to shove. They sent me to Washington to, you know, they put me in Washington because Washington needed peace and they needed a piece. So it basically worked out for both of us at the end of the day. You know, I'm grateful for, you know, the other opportunity that I was given, especially so early in my career, for sure. To just come here and just basically do what I do best. Main thing. And uh, what what advice do you have for other uh, players drafted in the second round? Um, second round picks, man, really just come in and work. You know, it's going to be a lot of up and downs. It's going to be a lot of crazy days. It's going to be a lot of days to where you feel like, you know, it's just not worth it. You know, but you just have to stick with it because everybody wants to succeed and everybody wants to get to the point where they get some type of, you know, results out of the work that they put in for like either the team that they get drafted by or the teams that they get sent to. So really just stick with it. Take it one day at a time. Frustration is going to happen. Adversity is going to be there. You just have to find ways and find outlets to be able to get through that because at the end of the day, you know, one closed door is always opening into another one for sure. Yeah, definitely. What, what would you say, what area in your game do you feel like you've improved the most since college? Me, really, in general, is just, I would say, communicating a lot more. It was at times where on the floor in college and stuff, I was never really that vocal, you know? And sometimes it, when it comes to tying into defense and stuff, sometimes that is some like most of the time that is really needed for sure because I was always at the back end of the defense. I always had to anchor the defense, let guys know what's going on behind them little by little. And I was just never really just good in that area, I would say. But I really found ways to be able to push myself and be able to be better in that um, part of my game for sure. But just like the skill set of it, really just building my confidence and shooting a lot more. Um, I've, taken jump, I've taken jump shots here and there throughout this season and stuff. And that's one thing that I'm still working towards is just having the full amount of confidence to where I can just be able to comfortably take a shot without worrying about anything on the sideline, when I worried about, you know, if I make or miss, at the end of the day, it's a good shot if you make, if you take it in the right um, right place in the right time. And what would you say going off that has been the biggest difference between the college game and the pro game? Oh, I mean, it's helped me expand for sure. You know, I get more comfortable in certain areas on the floor. Like, you know, if I decide to post up or if I, if I decide to catch it a little bit out beyond the paint you know, and attack the basket, little little things like that. Because usually I'm just like a, usually I was just like a back to the basket big, you know, dribble pound, dribble bang inside the post and certain things like that. Finishing over top, jump hooks and stuff. But now just having the ability and having the confidence to really just find ways to attack the basket and get like a good shot out of it. That's the main thing that I really worked on. Do you feel like it's more pressure 
for you to kind of develop your skills, especially when we talk about guys with the modern day game, modern bigs like Nikola Jokic, Joan B, guys that can like operate and score at every level on the basketball court. And you're kind of like an athletic guy that's, you know, in the polls and stuff like that. So do you feel like that you have a lot of pressure to develop your skill set going forward? I mean, when it comes to the pressure to it, no. It, I just feel like, you know, I have enough time to be able to develop that because, I mean, I'm not going to be athletic all my life. So being able to develop my skill set at the same time of being athletic is something good because I can show both whenever the time comes to that situation. So really just being able to take my time and build my craft as, you know, you know what I'm saying, some parts of the body uh, tends to wear down, certain things like that. I'll be able to have that skill set that I've worked on in the past come to the present and then boom, I can be able to put it on a showcase and let people know that, hey, he wasn't just athletic. He has all this in his bag too. Did you have any players that you looked up to growing up? Man, I looked up to, my main player that I looked up to was Kobe Bryant. Um, for sure, just because of like the demeanor that he had when he, you know, walked around off the floor, when he was on the court, he just had like a business demeanor. He didn't take anything from anybody, you know, rest in peace to his soul. He didn't let anything shake him for sure. He didn't wear his feelings on his sleeves. He always worked his tail off and, um, really uh, also LeBron too. LeBron was a big inspiration on me because I got to ask him a question one day at a camp when I was in, I believe I was in high school. Can't remember. I got to ask him a question and I asked him, I was like, what is your why when it comes to your success and what pushes you to be able to go out every night and go out every day and do the same thing repetitively and have the same result that you want day in, day out? And he said it was like his mom, his dad, basically all the people in his family and stuff that really were behind him and helped him get into the position that he's in now, for sure. And that's crazy to think, too, because you said this was around in high school. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. So <laughs> let's, what does that kind of mean to know that that was when you were in high school and to now knowing that you're actually in the league and LeBron is still kind of in the league? Well, not kind of, but he is in the league. I mean, it means a lot because, I mean, it's a big inspiration just seeing him on the floor. You know, you're used to seeing him on TV, used to seeing him on highlights on Twitter, Instagram, whatever they have any type of highlights of him on. And now that you're seeing it in person and looking to see all the things that he's done to show like he's put all this time in to work on those certain skill sets, work on shooting shots in those spots, making difficult shots, dribbling the basketball little by little. It shows how hard he worked at the game to be able to put himself in the position that he's in now for sure. And it, it just amazes me just seeing like when he played us, when we, we, we were up there playing the Lakers, you know, and he dropped the 50 ball. I was just amazed because some of the shots that he was taking, it was crazy, you know, and it just, it's just like surprising because you see some of these shots and you think like, damn, you know, seeing that on the TV, you know, it doesn't look, it doesn't look that crazy, but seeing it in real life, person. <laughs> it's a bit different. <laughs> it's crazy. No, that, go ahead. This. No, I, I was going to say in a situation like that. So is it like you get irritated or frustrated or do you just say like, all right, you know what? Charge the game. Like, do, yeah, do you, you just kind of tape your hat off to him or. Well, I mean, yeah, at that point in time, you just had to tip your hat off to him because he was the main force when we were playing him up there in L.A. He was the main force. You really couldn't do anything, whatever he wanted, whatever he threw up, it went in, you know. And it's just like, yeah, you know, he's one of the best players in the league, one of the best players in the world. And it's just like, what can you do? You know? yeah. <laughs> what was the, uh, Daniel, what, what was the scouting report for the game on LeBron? <laughs> 
Like what was like what was something oh, the coach wrote over? <laughs> what, what was some of the things <laughs> that the coach wrote over? What gets written on the whiteboard? Yeah, what gets written on the whiteboard? Really, the main thing was, you know, when it comes to him scoring fifty, they're going to win the ball game. Plain and simple, because at that point he's doing it himself, and he's getting into, he's getting his team involved too. One thing for sure we had said was make sure guys around him made the plays instead of him like facilitating everything. Because once he started facilitating everything. He started getting other guys going, and it was just like a domino effect. He got one guy going, then he threw it to Russ. Russ got going, then he threw it to Melo. Melo got going. So it was just like a domino effect. So everything, when it's like around him, like going out, going through him, it's over with basically. Because once he's in his own, he gets his team in his own too. It's it's tough to it's tough to handle, especially when they get momentum down the stretch. Yeah, that's crazy how one player can have such a big impact on the rest of the guys, and without even scoring the basketball, that's. That's why he's the GOAT, in my eyes, at least. I have a, I have a question, too. Obviously, we're talking about, obviously, a, a current Laker, and you mentioned um, Kobe, right? But in, in your overall journey, you mentioned pretty much being introduced to the game for the most part in middle school, right? And then moving on to the later part of your career, um, being drafted in the second round until now. Um, so my question after all that is, what does Mamba mentality mean to you? Uh, mama mentality for sure means never giving up. You can you can be at your lowest and you can feel at your lowest, but the next day is always it can always be a different part of the story that you're going through. Like you know, there's always a certain part in the story where it's just like tough. Like I always I always think of it like a book. There's a certain part in the story where it's always it's like this dark moment that the character's in. And then you can flip to the next chapter and boom, he's in a whole nother different mindset and a whole nother demeanor and a whole nother atmosphere. That's because of the simple fact that he took a step in a different direction or just figured out some type of way to get himself out of the mental like hole that he's dug himself in. So I just kind of look at it like that. And when it came to just like with my career, when it came to it, it was always times where I got in the car and I'm driving back home like, man, you know, it's something that is out of my control that I want to be better. But at the end of the day, I really can't like really dwell on it because it's in the past. It's something that I can work on and be better at going throughout my career and stuff. And once I finally got like a good grasp of how that thought process was and kind of like built off of that, it helped me a lot coming like into this, um, into Washington when I got traded because came here by myself. I literally had to, (laughs) like when I got traded, when I uh when I got traded, the morning that I got traded, I was walking my dogs and I had my phone on silent. So I was walking my dogs and I was walking back to the house in Chicago. And I look at my phone. I got a text message from my agent. Um, I got a text message from the team. Well, yeah, the GMs and stuff. They called me, said that we were going another direction and all that. My agent said, I'm going to Washington. And I was like, oh, my God. But when I walked in the house, my girl was like, oh, you're going to Washington. You got traded. I was like, stop playing with me. You're trying to play a joke on me right now. Yeah. I looked at my phone and then boom, it just hit me. It was a lot of emotion. Not gonna lie, there was no hard feelings to the team because, like, like everybody says, it's, it's a business. You know, it's always something to figure out. But at the end of the day, I just took it as this is another another opportunity for me because you know Tommy and the guys they called they called me and stuff before I even came and said you know there's a lot of things that I'm good at doing on the floor. I just have to be able to be the best I can be in those areas. I was like, okay, I understand. And I had to fly out the same day I got traded, get there, play the first game. And I'm there by myself. So I'm having to take like a whole different step in life and 
on the floor too because of just a simple fact I'm there by myself. So I was doing a lot of stuff by myself. It helped me gain a lot of responsibilities that I usually didn't do when I was in Chicago and stuff. It helped me like really just readjust myself and come back to myself and just reset. That was the main thing that I took out of it. And a lot of people talking about like the physical like toll that you guys deal with on the constantly basis of a regular season and in, in the playoffs and stuff like that. But talk about like the mental toll. Like what are some things that you do personally like to keep your mental strong? Um, main thing that I do is I'm real into video games, you know, old, new, pretty much whatever I can get my hands on and I can just play and just really just go into a state of mind to where I'm just calm. That really helps me out a lot. Um it puts me into the position to where, like, if I have aggression, I can take it out on something on the game. If I have happiness, I can do something on the game to make that even a lot better. So that's one thing for sure. Um, I listen to music a lot. I'm really into it. Like I said, I was in the band. So I have a real big heart for music. I haven't been in it lately, but I do listen to a lot of different varieties, varieties of music that helps me out a lot. I listen to, like, a lot of motivational rap. I listen to J. Cole a lot. I just listen to certain things that, you know, help me think clearly instead of putting me in a position to where I'm just sitting down overthinking and putting a lot of stress on myself when it comes to that. So those are the main two things. I'm trying to figure out other hobbies day in, day out. I'm really like trying to get into, you know, the meditation part of it. So mm-hmm. I'm still learning on ways to figure out, figure out ways to, you know, work on that mental part. But those are the main two things that I do. Yeah. And so I got to ask, you bring up music, right? Uh, who's your uh, top three artists? Top three artists for me, uh, J. Cole, for sure, is my number one. That's my favorite rapper in general. Um, Drake, and I can't really pinpoint the third one right now. It's a lot. It's a lot of them that I can think of. Oh, uh, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not letting you get off that easy. Yeah, there's no, there's no pump fakes. <laughs> you got to pick a third. Can't pump fake. Oh, man. You you can push it to five if, if you want to, you know. If three okay. not, not leave, yeah, not leave anyone out. So here, here's my three. We can go J. Cole, Drake, and for sure Lil Baby. Lil Baby. I'm surprised. No, I'm, I'm surprised. No, no Kendrick? Because you, you talk about motivational type of lyrics and stuff like that with J. Cole, but like Kendrick. Well, since Kendrick has brought out anything, so he, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's retired, basically. <laughs> we, we need some new. <laughs> we need some new. Yeah. I'm sure I'm bringing him back into my top, you know, to my top three, but right now yeah. he got to be back there until he bring out something else. You know, it's been so long, so. Nah, that's fair. That's fair enough. You know, what, what have you done for me lately kind of vibe? I get it. Um, but so, yeah, you also mentioned um, video games as well. So I got to ask, you know, in all honesty, do you ever, like, learn from playing 2K? Like, are there certain things that, like, I don't know if 2K is one of the games that you play, but like, is there certain things that you kind of pick up on the lowest of keys? Like, obviously you play it for, again, for, for fun. It's a hobby to, to, to lower your stress and all that. But are there certain things that you might either pick up on? Um, I don't know. I really haven't, like you said, that's the main reason I play 2K because 2K has changed from when I was in like high school and stuff. It has changed a lot. So I really somewhat don't play it as much, but I still do. But I really, I really wouldn't say I, that I learned anything from it. You know, just like the energy, the energy part of it. You know, if you got a creative player and you're going nuts with your creative player, and you end up breaking like a scoring record or a rebounding record or just any type of record in general, or if you're just like playing with one of your friends and stuff, and the game gets intense at the end, 
try to hit a buzzer beater at the end and stuff, all kind of stuff like energy wise like that. But all in all, just the basketball aspect, I really, I would say really didn't learn anything. Only thing I would say is that I learned is just like tall guys, the taller guys, we make point guards and the shorter guys, they make, <laughs> that's the main thing. That I that's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, Daniel, talk to us about like the importance of accepting your role in the NBA. Like you're a guy right now, you're averaging about 20 minutes per game, nine points per game, shoot about 70% for the field, six rebounds, 1.5 blocks per game. I feel like, yo, if you got more minutes, you can be, you can produce more. But like we know like in the NBA, it's all about kind of like doing what's best for the team and talk about like the importance of that. Oh uh, yeah. Knowing your role is one of the best things you can you can really just have like in your mental for sure. Because I mean, if you don't, you get to the point where you want to push this certain role for yourself and the coaches and stuff have another role set for you, then it's going to be a lot of head banging when it comes to that because of the simple fact that you you guys are going to come to a disagreement sooner or later. So really just knowing your role and going out and being the best you can when it comes to any type of area that you are like elite in and being like being great in that area night in night out that's one thing for sure that I would say is knowing your role because like I said the coaches can have a whole different like thing set for you because um like I always thought this I always thought you know I was going to be in a position to where I can catch the ball in the post or at the high post or anything like that, face up, attack the basket, little by little and stuff. And then, you know, I said, the coach comes around and boom, this is your role. So, okay, now you got to change your aspect because if you say anything back to the coach, now you're being unprofessional and that's going to cause a lot of, you know, I would say, what is it? Animosity or aggressiveness, or aggression throughout the locker room and stuff. We don't really want that, especially if we're trying to win games. So it's good to just take a step back figure out your role and go out and play at 110% in that role night in and night out for sure. Yeah. And and speaking of that, uh, what type of personal goals do you have for yourself? Um, Personal goals really just coming out. I want to really take a shot at defensive player of the year, one year throughout my career, you know, being better at that guarding um, through the one through five position, being able to guard guys on the perimeter. You know, I ain't going to be out here trying to guard Steph Curry or Kyrie Irving or anything like that. But just being able to maintain a defensive position to where I can keep a guy in front of me. You know, it's a lot of quick guys in this league, but I want to be able to be to a point where with my length and with my athleticism and everything that comes to me as a player, I can be able to expand my defensive range to do that without getting into foul trouble, without getting blown by and letting guys just score on me. So just that's one thing for sure. Yeah. Um, another goal I would say is just really just being a lot better when it comes to, you know, the physicality of the game, learning the game more, learning the refs more, because these refs are I look crazy this year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to get passed down right now. It's a lot of, you know what I'm saying, ups and downs with the refs this year and stuff. But same time, we got to hold the refs accountable too. So valid statement, valid statement. It's officially that time of the year again. It's March Madness, and I am Tate Frazier of the Titus and Tate Podcast, and I'm here to tell you about the world of Five Star, a six-part narrative podcast series about the best basketball camp you've never heard of. It was literally seven days of you're not going to sleep much, the food sucks, it's hot as hell, and you're running a camp. You ready for this? Outside? What? This is the story of Howard Garfinkel, 
and how his five-star basketball camp built the greatest players and the greatest coaches in the game today. One of those coaches is in his final NCAA tournament, Coach K of the Duke Blue Devils, and this is how he became the superstar coach that we know and love today. Take advantage of these last two days because being here is something special. This is the world of Five Star. Come along for the journey as we explain all the legends and leaders of March and how they came to be at one basketball camp in the summertime. So go download and subscribe to the world of Five Star wherever you get your podcast today. Um, so you mentioned defensive player of the year and obviously overall improving on, on the defensive end and things like that. Um, so I got to ask, what does being a good defender mean to you? Um, guard your yard, really protecting home. That's the main thing. You know, me being a shot blocker and stuff, you know, protecting home is all, what I always say, just trying to really just adjust any type of shot that comes to the basket or block any type of shot that comes to the basket. And really just guard your yard is, like I said, guarding from one through five. Like if I have to switch on a guard, being able to keep a guard in front of me and maintain if they're going to drive or being able to force them, force them to take a shot over a contested hand. So little things like that is something that is good defense to me, great defense to me, because you got guys in the league that are doing that today, like Draymond Green, Patrick Beverly. I mean, he's a guard, but Draymond Green, you know, guys at his size, Bam out of bio, you know, he's shown, he's shown like time and time again that he can guard one through five. So I want to be in a conversation to be able to do little things like that. But at the end of the day, I'm still working towards that for sure. You, you definitely guarding your yard, one point five blocks per game. That's that's very that's very impressive. Um, well, you you mentioned Draymond Green, you mentioned Patrick Beverly. I want to know like who are some of the guys that you feel like are the best at guarding one through five. I know you you mentioned Draymond Green, but who are some of the other guys in the league that really get after when we talk about the defensive side of the ball with guarding one through five? I don't think it's a lot. I think Draymond is one, um, and I think Ben Ben's probably another one. Yeah, he Go mentioned ahead. Bam, yeah. Yeah, Bam for sure, because he's shown like time and time again that like he can be able to go on one through five. And that's something that, you know, I take a look at when it comes to his game, because I like I said, I want to expand myself to be able to go out and do the same thing. So we got like Draymond, Bam. Um, there's a couple of other guys that come to mind. The list isn't that long, I'll say. That's what I said. I don't feel like it's that long. long mm hmm. Wait, were you talking all time about or or like no? I was talking. Like I, was, I was talking about. I was talking about currently in the NBA, but we can go all time too if you want. But I was talking about currently because I was thinking like Draymond Green, Bam. Um, I think the best defender in the league hasn't played all year. Um, ben Simmons, I think he's a guy that does that exceptionally well, one through five on the basketball court. But other than those three guys, it's really hard for me to to find anybody else. So that's why I asked Daniel if he had because you know he's in the league, so he sees this shit up close and personal. What about uh, Matisse Thibault from Philly? Mm -hmm. Do five, though? Yeah. Do five? It is a do good one. Do five is... That's tough. We're we talking bigs, too. Yeah. But, but I think that just goes to show you not just how challenging it is, but how, you know, when players can actually do that, you know, the appreciation should definitely be there because it's so rare, right? It, it's yeah. not something you see every day. Um, yeah. So. No, that's real. Daniel, and Daniel's striving to do that. So that, you know, that just shows you that... Like, what you're trying to do and the potential that you're trying to reach for yourself is very, very special. But since we can't, since we can't find a one through five, you know, that many guys, what big man is the hardest to defend in the NBA? Uh, 
<laughs> That's tough because we, you got a lot. You got two versatile bigs that uh, really do a lot that is hard to guard, and that's Nicole Jokic and Joel Embiid. Um, man, I say Nicola. Nicola is Nicola is a bit tough to defend because you never know what he's going to do on the offensive end. Mm. He's real crafty for a guy his size and his passing IQ, his court vision, the little things. You have to do a lot to really just take him off of his spot and take him off of his game, I would say, because he really manipulates the game to where it's hard for some guys to, you know, stay in, either stay in front of him, stay out of foul trouble when guarding him because he's gotten me in the same situation and stuff. I kind of adjusted a lot better when it came to guarding Joel. Um, really was just just coming out and just trying to be the aggressor against him. That was something that helped me out a lot. Um, but Nicole, I'm still, you know what I'm saying? I'm still getting there with Nicola for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's serious. <laughs> yeah, he, no, he's tough. He's tough. Um, the thing is about Jokic too is that it's not even like the athleticism is like nah. at like an all-time high, right? Like he's not catching like posters and things like that. He's just obviously very talented and skilled, but that's something to kind of consider as well. Like a lot of the top guys in the league have just a scary yeah. amount of athleticism. But you talk about an MVP who, you know, May that be the fastest, yeah. Footwork is crazy. Footwork is crazy. Like he's crazy. He knows and loves the game, and he manipulates it to the where to where it's like really at his advantage, and he takes advantage of it every time. (laughs) I gotta, I gotta ask, I gotta ask you, DJ, what is it like playing? Because I'm from St. Louis, so you know, I gotta ask about my boy. What is it? What is it like playing next to Bradley Bill? I feel like Bradley Bill is the most complete shooting guard in the league. I feel like he doesn't get the credit he deserves, but like. I know he's been out this year with an injury, but what is it like playing with Bradley Bill? I mean, it's great because Brad, like Brad is our main score, plain and simple. So coming in night in, night out, we always have to find ways to get him open. But for him being, you know, the player that he is, he always finds ways to get himself open too. And he can always get a bucket when needed either for himself or for the team. <laughs> and then like time and time again, you know, he'll, bring out a defensive side of him to where, you know, he's locking somebody down. He has that mindset for sure. Um, so just playing beside him is just, it's good because, you know, you want to be in a position to where you can help be another target to where it can take a lot of stuff off him. Because if you get rolling, then it'll help him also get rolling too, because now they got to worry about two of you instead of one. So that's the main thing. So having him, and like, say for instance, like Kyle Kuzma on the floor at the same time is good because now they got to worry about a two-headed monster for sure because they're both great at scoring. Brad is going to do any and everything, and he's still going to get a bucket. You know, he can dribble like he can dribble a whole clock out for twenty-four seconds, and he's going to get a bucket at the end nine times out of ten. You know, and then after he gets a bucket, he's going to ask you what your wants look like. <laughs> <laughs> Facts. What what does what does it kind of mean though to have? a leader like that and, and Brad be on the team? No, it's good. It's good for us because it shows that when you got a guy that comes on the floor night in, night out, and he's either getting doubled or, you know, boxing ones or anything like that, just like Steph or any other dynamic guard throughout this league that are really coming out and scoring the ball at a high capacity like those guys do, it's good seeing that, you know, he comes out and he's not phased by it. He still goes out and do does most of the things that he's doing the night before. Like he'll score a 30-point game. Boom, he comes out and get doubled. He'll score another 30-point game as he's getting doubled. So 
little by little, it just shows just like the consistency that guys like him play with at the level of the player that he is. So you mentioned boxing one, um, mm-hmm. and Ahmad may uh, may know a question I'm getting ready to ask Nesk. Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> but I gotta I gotta ask. Um, so talking about boxing one, Daniel, how do you feel about zone defense? And if you could, I I'll make it easier for you. I'll make it easier for you. Um, just fill in the blank here, okay? Uh, zone defense is blank. Zone defense is blank. Uh, <laughs> zone defense is annoying for sure. That's what I can say about it. Um, anytime uh, Montrez Arrow used to say this all the time. If a team has to play a zone against us to keep us from scoring. They can't hold defense. <laughs> yes. Here we go. Yes. Here we go. Yes. Here we go. Yes. <laughs> yes. And yes. Me sitting beside him listening to that, there was a part of me was like, eh. But then I thought about it and I was like, that is true. <laughs> because it gets to the point where, you know, guys are going one-on-one. You can't guard the pick and roll. can't basically guard anything. Teams are scoring at will. You got to find some type of way to, you know, take out the monster. And that's throwing his own at for sure. Especially in the league. Like, come on. We, we, we adults. <laughs> we, we adults here. What do, what, do, what do we try to do? No. Uh, what, what, what exactly? What, what's the vibe here with a 2-3 a, a at, at this big age? What, what are we going to say, Ahmad? I, I, I'm going to say that the, the one of the best damn defensive teams in the NBA right now Play zone a lot, and that's the Miami Heat match. That's zone. corny. It's and, corny, but it's just kind of like if it's if it's producing, they're the number one seed right now in the Eastern Conference. So I have to if if it's producing, if you're having success, if other you know teams can't stop it when you're doing this matchup zone, why not do it? You know, it's a part of basketball. It's a strategy. So other half that was like a bit disagreeing with what Montrez had said. Like I was, I agree with him 100 percent. Like on the other side, well, like 50 percent, so to speak. Agree with a 50% because, like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? If you go into a zone, the mean guys aren't going to be able to go, aren't guarding one-on-one or we're just getting any and everything that we want. But also, at the end of the day, if the scheme is working, you really can't run from it. <laughs> oh, I'm not, I'm not mad at it. If it's working, okay, I get it, you know, but it also sends the wrong message, in my opinion. It also sends, like, oh, you know, we can't guard one-on-one, so we're going to try and, you know, take the easy way out. We, we can't. Contain but what's the but what's the but what's the well what's the same? It's I mean okay, you talking about that with zone, but it's just like Dave just said that teams be doubling and tripling team at Bradley Bill sometimes. So it's just like that's the same thing with man. Like if you can't guard somebody one on one and you got a double, you got a triple team. Like what's the difference between that and playing in the zone? It's still weak in, in every aspect. Mm-hmm. Like that's the same thing, right? Yeah, not even Brad. You can just look at the fact that, like, you know, when Steph was, you know, playing, I hate that he's out for the rest of the season also, but when he was playing and stuff, I think it was, like, mainly at the beginning of the season when he was going crazy, he was, like, crazy. a real hot start, and they just started doubling him and stuff. And um, I think it was Famous uh, – what's his name? Jesus famous Lowe. Yeah, Famous Lowe. Famous Lowe. Yeah, yeah, I don't know his name, but he was just always putting, you know, videos and stuff on Twitter talking about how guys were doubling him, certain things like that. And he's still like doing the same thing. True. Yeah. I mean, yeah, at that point. Okay. Okay.
But that's a little different, though. That's you know name recognition. That's an individual. As a zone, you are Bradley making Bill, a decision. Bradley Bill ain't got. Oh, oh, but I'm saying that's still one person. When you play yeah, yeah. zone, you are making a collective decision. Like, hey, us five as individuals, we cannot guard them one on one. I don't know about. I don't know about all that. This. I can't what you really mean? Say I don't. Really, cause I can't. I can't. Because you look at like, you look at a team like the Boston Celtics. Everybody in their starting lineup can guard. Marcus Smart, Al Horford, Jalen Brown. Jason Tatum, you know, like all those guys get and Robert Williams. Like, so it's just kind of like sometimes a zone is not saying that we can't guard you. Sometimes a zone is like being shoulder, like, yo, give that offense a different look, make it a little difficult. So I, I can't really, I can't really sit up and say that a zone is really like what you trying to make it seem, but it, it is what it is. We always have this, this, we always debate this day. <laughs> we always have this disagreement, but it is what it is. Hey, you can word it however you want. You can say, say, you know, oh, there's a reason why they're doing this. There's a reason why they're doing that. At the end of the day, a zone is a zone. But that, that's just, you know, I, I just felt like I had to ask that because when I heard that, boxing one. That's another thing know, I want to uh, ask you, Daniel, though, because I always talk about like you said, like you're a guy that, you know, protect a yard. You're averaging 1.5 blocks per game. So you're an elite rim protector in this league. and You're only getting 20 minutes per game, which is crazy. But like. What about perimeter defense? Like you mentioned Pat, Pat Beverly. When we talk about defensive player of the year, we talk constantly about guys that are kind of like, you know, protecting yard. But what about guys that's not getting like the recognition they deserve on the defensive side of the ball? Because I feel like, like Patrick Beverly, like Marcus Smart, I feel like me personally, guarding the perimeter is the hardest part on defense. What do you feel about that? Yeah, because you're always in a, a different situation when it comes to defense. You have multiple assignments. Like, the bigs have certain assignments too. Guard and pick and roll. Got to make sure the roller doesn't get behind you. And you got to stop the ball at the same time. Always got to be in help side when your man is in a dunker. Little things like that. And when it comes to guarding the perimeter, that's a whole different ball game because you got guys like, you know, bringing up his name again, Steph, who is back and forth on each side of the court every play down the floor. You know, he doesn't stop moving. So you got to look into that. You got to be able to defend that. You got to stay behind him. You can't let him get any type of space because as soon as he gets the ball, it's going up no matter how much space he has, you know, you can be right beside him. He'll still pull the ball. So yeah, I say the perimeter. I mean, it is tough because you got to guard guys like Steph, Luca, you know, Bradley Bill, Damian Lillard, you know, guys that'll come across the court and literally pull up literally as they take one step across the court. So yeah, for sure. Like that is tough because, you know, it's, <laughs> you always got to figure out a different type of way to try to defend it, you know? Yeah, and, so what, and, and how how is it knowing that like you can't really take a playoff if that makes sense, right? Like literally, like you said, every single time they take one or two feet over half court, like they're they're in range. Yeah, I mean taking the playoff that should I don't at this point like it shouldn't be in anybody's head on the floor that you're going to be able to take a playoff unless you have a defensive scheme to where you're on the guy that you can muck off of and just sit and be in health side most of the time, but. Any other time, you really can't take a play. You really can't take a playoff then because now you gotta be able to be in a position to help when that guy is doing all the zigzags and coming off of the screens. You gotta be in help side. You gotta be up. So yeah, you really can't take plays off at all because there's too many guys in this league these days that really manipulate the game at an elite level. And if you're not on your p's and q's, like them manipulating the game, is nothing. It's, going to be at a disadvantage for you for sure because you're going to be at the wit's end of it you dunked on crossed over you know shot a three ball in your face something is always going to happen if you take some type of playoff in my opinion 
Um, me, I tried my best to never just not even think about taking at least one off because I'm in so many actions. I'm guarding pick and rolls, trying to stop the ball, and being up at the level two when we got shooters coming off of the um coming off of the screen and stuff. So yeah, it's a lot. So 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 why do you feel like those guys, the perimeter guys, don't get the credit they deserve when we talk about defensive player of the year? Do you think it's because like the casual viewers or just looking at you know blocks and stuff like that? Because like the last time a defensive player of the year was an actual guard, I think it was Gary Payton. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I guess these days we just focus on one thing. To be honest, I I don't know why they like strayed from focusing on guys on the perimeter and guys doing multiple jobs throughout the whole game, guarding you know either the best player on the floor or the second best player on the floor. Really, just I don't know. You know, it's a lot of things that has changed over the years. Yeah. And it's doing it right in front of our eyes. We change the narratives. We change basically everything. I respect you for saying that because you're a big man. Most big men not going to come out and be honest, but you did. So I respect that. Not for sure. Yeah, because like me, with me, I want to be able to make a statement with the defensive player of the year that I want to work towards getting by being able to guard multiple positions, like I said, guard the whole floor instead of just yeah. like I want to be able to do that and put myself in that narrative like, oh, he's going off five and he's still blocking shots. I want to be able to do something like that. Kind of like, you know, how um, Giannis is, you know, he comes out, guards the perimeter most of the time. And a little bit. Blocking shots, protecting the rim, doing little stuff, you know. Go ahead, Amon. Respond to that, please, if you don't mind, because I know you get a little no, I said, I said statements. No, I said a little bit. I mean, I don't look at Giannis as – I look at Giannis as a guy that's great on the help side, great at blocking shots, great at rim protecting. But I don't look at Giannis like this, you know, like he really guards the perimeter like some people, you know, like to say. But, I mean, I respect it. Because um, I could make an argument that Kevin Durant's a better perimeter defender than Giannis if you, if you really, you really want to break, break things down, you know. But, like, of course, with basketball analytics and defensive analytics and stuff like that, it's going to give credit to, like, what's going on on the court when Giannis is on the court and off the court, So which leads to, like, voters voting for Giannis as a defensive player of the year. But we talk about, like, Daniel was talking about, like, Bam, Draymond Green, Ben Simmons. Those are real guys I see, like, yo, that can actually really, like, guard the perimeter for more than, like, a quick five seconds. No, I understand. I agree with you completely with that, too. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, when it just comes to just like the way that we've changed stuff so much, they take what some guys do a little of and like it's like every so other game that they do it and they just put it all together. And it's just like, boom, you know what I'm saying? We just have this in this one category. He does this. So we're going to say he's a defensive player of the year candidate. That's something that I say that has really changed because we don't look at everything that goes on. We just look at the certain points, parts of the defense that happens with this certain player. And then, boom, we put him into this category, put him into this narrative, defensive player of the year candidate. So, yeah. Yeah. And me, I think we all know that the game is evolving and it has been for a while. But even during your time since you first entered the league, Daniel, do you feel like it's changed even since then? With the... um. Defensive player of the year candidate talk? Well, no, well, no, just just in general. Like, when you first got in as a rookie compared to now, you know, you got a couple of years under your belt. Do you feel like things have changed? Um, 
besides COVID, I wouldn't, I would say the only thing that I would say has changed really is just how these refs are. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what, you know what I'm saying? These refs got in their clone or anything like that. It's just, you know, we come into the gym and our egos take over. You know, you got some of the best players in the league to complain about the refs and, you know, you look the refs in the face and it's just like, oh, I'm totally a whole different person. Here. You can't touch me. You know, I see through you. All of that. You know, it's some out here that understand that, you know, um, what we go through. It's a lot out there on the floor. Some guys call foul. Some guys don't. You know, I told uh, one of the refs, I think his name is Evan, I believe. Told him, you know, I come up to you and I talk about a certain play. Um, I think it was I contested LeBron and he said I smacked him on his wrist. And I think a couple of plays later, I got subbed out. Uh, KP, he shot a fader and he got hit on his hand as he shot it. So I was like, I asked the ref, I was like, so I block, I go for a block for LeBron. And you say I hit him on his wrist. So why didn't we get the same call down here when KP got hit on his hand? And he was like, oh, hands part of the ball. And I was like, I hit LeBron's wrist. You know what I'm saying? That's part of his hand, which is part of the ball. So what's up? <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, Dale, no, Dale, come on now. <laughs> Telling the ref, so what's up? It's crazy. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. No, like I really just like asked him. I was just like, I was trying to get like a simple understanding. Like, are we, you know what I'm saying? Like, let me know if I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'll, you know, yeah. I'll take my L and I'll walk off. You know, I'll let yeah. him know I understand. And he came to me after halftime. He was like, you know what? You're right. I was wrong. I missed the call and I should have did better. I was like, it's all right. It's all good. Look, I'm, and I always tell them, I'm not trying to make your hard, I mean, your job more harder than what it is. Yeah. Not trying to do that at all. I just want, you know, either you can help me get an understanding of ways I can be able to be better on defense or you can just be an asshole and just tell me you got your face. Plain and simple and not understand. So that's very professional. I respect it. Yeah, I respect I it. But unfortunately, in that example, your situation, you filed. I don't know if this is what you were going to say, Ahmad, but you filed LeBron. So you know how. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Know, uh, you know, you can't. Su superstar <laughs> calls gets a little <laughs> bit different. LeBron, you know, poor Zinger. So yeah, it's going to be a little bit, little bit different. You can't, you can't really, you know. Um, yeah, I, I want to ask, too. How is uh, the Wizards community and Wizards faithful um, and DC family overall been? Just the overall, just new, new, uh, new district, I'll say. Oh, well, I mean, ever since I got here, I mean, they've been great. They've welcomed everybody that can't come here new with warm hands, open, open arms and everything. And just basically made it feel like home for everybody that's, like I said, has gotten traded here or got traded away from here. You know, they let guys know that they're going to miss them. Certainly like that. The community is great. You know, it's a couple of them in there, you know, that aren't, but. All in all, I love I love the community a lot. I love the fans. I love basically everything that goes on around the organization because they keep everything professional and they do everything for like the people when it comes to just doing anything for the cities or the fans or just making people feel, you know, at home when they come into the Capital One Arena for sure. Also, too. Respect. I respect that. Um, the Wizards are 30 and 41 right now. You guys are battling for a playing situation. What are some things you guys need to do going forward in this last like home stretch, literally last home stretch, to make sure that you guys at least make it into the play-in? We just have to get to the point where we can contain leads. That's the main thing because, I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody's seen the game last night, and we can use the L.A. Clippers game, for example, too. You know, we um, had Houston up last night big, 
and we ended up losing that game last night. And we had the Clippers up, what, 36? And ended up losing on a buzzer beater and a free throw. You know, a foul, a made foul. It was a three-pointer and a free throw. We were up 36. So just looking at that, just think, like, if we hold out these leads and stuff, those are the two wins that we have under our belt that can help us get to this play-in push. But like I said, we really just have to get to the point and this is not just even just like saying holding like a certain person accountable. We have to hold each other accountable as a team to where we can just come out, lock in and get stops down the stretch when we need them. Or even like if say, say like, you know, we blow a lead. We have to understand the fact that we have to find some type of way to stop the momentum to keep that lead from going away even further. Yeah. So those are some of the things I say, just really just holding our ground and just trying to figure out ways to finish our games while we're leading especially late game situation. We have to work on the execution part. We have to work on the communication part on the defensive end too. Yeah. And obviously, you know, regular season, there's 82 games, of course. Uh, but how big are those games as individuals, right? Cause obviously some people might say, all right, it's just one game, but that one game could play a huge factor come, you know, playoff time or when you're trying to get a spot in the playing tournament. So how important is it to really treat every game just as important as the next? Um, it's really important because you never know what's going to happen in the end game, for sure. Some of the games that you lose are should be some of the games that you win to help you in the end game. And some of the games that you win sometimes may not mean anything at the end because if you're losing any, like say you're like you're winning in the beginning and you get to a point where you're in a spot where you're going to go up and down when it comes to like your season and just like how your um, overall just like win-loss thing is. You know, if you lose games and that team that you're above, like above or under or anything like that, they start losing too, and you're going to be tied for certain spots. So you really just have to think about things like that when you're going into certain games because you have to come out on top for most for the most part because it can put you in a position to where you can be in a play-in tournament to where you can also play for more in the offseason or like before the offseason. Or you can be in the playoffs to where you solidified your spot to where you ain't even got to worry until the playoffs actually come. Yeah. And I, I would say, too, just, you know, one of my final questions about it, if, unless you have one, too, is um, if you could, Daniel, uh, name three teammates, all right, that you've learned the most from that aren't on the current Wizards roster. So it could be over the course of your entire career. Right, even even back to middle school, if you want. Oh, All right, middle school, high school, uh, college, college, and even and, and even professional career in the NBA. Name three teammates that you feel like you've learned the most from. Okay. Um, first is going to be high school teammate. His name is Zar Perry. I believe he just um signed to be able to go overseas. If I'm not mistaken, I can't fully remember. But learned from him was just really just staying with the grind. He was always the guy that came before school in high school, worked out at six o'clock in the morning, took a shower, went to school, and was ready for practice at the end of the day also. So learning from him was just grind doesn't stop no matter what day of the week it is. You always have to come in. You always have to put your time in. And that's something that I'm still learning today for sure. Um, and Darius Hall, he plays at UCA now. He was my teammate my freshman year in Arkansas. And I played against him and stuff in um, high school, played with him in AAU. So he was basically a teammate, a rival, basically 
everything in the book and just learning from him is just really just grind doesn't stop as well because he's come a long way. He's lost um, a couple of family members that was dear to him and he never really just let anything stop him from being in a good mood and just, you know, coming out and playing basketball and having fun with life in general. Uh, that was one of the main, that was a couple of the main things that I learned from him for sure. And um trying to think. Oh, well. For sure, in the league now is um, Bradley Bill, for sure. It's just, you know, been a lot of ups and downs uh, ups and downs in his career. You know, he's been with Washington, um, I guess. I, I'm pretty sure ever since he's been in the league, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been with Washington all of his years in the league. And it's a lot of adversity. It's a lot of, you know, things that he had to get through and stuff. And he had said um, – did he say this? I think it was last year after we had lost the last uh the last game in the playoffs against the Sixers. He was just like, you know, it's rough being in the league this long and going through the ups and downs. And then he said that he was in a position of the playoffs and stuff. He said it was the best feeling ever because of just like all the adversity that he was going through. And it was just, you know, just like that one split second, it just felt like, you know the whole world was lifted off of his shoulders. So that was one thing I learned about him is just really just sticking through. So all three of those guys, you know, just learning. My main thing with it really was just sticking with the main plan and not really just giving in to I'm going to give up and I'm going to stop working. I'm not going to really just build off of, you know, the success that I want, you know, because you fail from time to you fail, you fail from time to time, but you always get back up to be able to put yourself in another position and have another goal at what you were trying to do in the past. So, yeah, those are the three guys for sure that I've learned a lot from. The two, like I said, were in high school. Basically, I grew up with those guys playing AAU and stuff. And then Brad and whatnot. The first time I actually played with Brad was the second day of the L.A. Skills Academy camp, when uh, my second year of college. Um, the day before, I had played with Kevin Durant. Next day, I played with Brad and KCP. <laughs> so I kind of have, like, somewhat known them. You know, they probably don't remember me because I was a little skinnier back then. <laughs> you know, I, went, I had barely meat on my bones, but I was a little taller. Well, a little shorter, actually, if we're being honest. And um, just playing with those guys and seeing the pace that they played with, I was like, yeah, I feel like I can be able to – go in the league but I think at that time I wasn't really fully ready for that pace that they played with because they were playing fast that day but those are my three guys yeah okay I'm with it Ahmad you uh you got anything nah I mean he didn't that's good I ended on that yeah I mean it's Respect. all about weather weather in the storm but uh we, we appreciate you Dan for obviously being um on no pump face and pulling up you have any uh final words for uh our audience at all I'm about to say I'm good. I'm honored to be on the note, uh, Pump Face. That's the name of it, right? Yes, yeah. sir. I don't want to butcher no names. Really. Nah, <laughs> you good. I'm grateful y'all, you guys, you know, reached out, wanted me to be on here, had fun talking. You know, I'm hopeful I didn't talk too much. <laughs> oh, you good, you good, you good. We had a, a decent, uh, It was, I think it was a pretty good conversation. Um, again, like I said, you made history. Mm-hmm. So we appreciate uh, you pulling up on the show. And just like Dude. that, y'all, uh, with the Dewey on, I ain't mad at it. Um, and so, yeah, just a little housekeeper item for everyone out there. Uh, make sure you, you know, give a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, no pump fakes. And of course, subscribe on YouTube. All right. And just like that, y'all, we gone. Peace. <laughs>